all the way from across the pond, ladies and gentlemen. This one is with my man Peter Frinzel, who happens to live in the Netherlands, otherwise known as Holland. Um, Peter and I have been friends for almost 10 years now. And uh, and it shows, you know, our, our conversation is fluid. We have a, have a lot of fun. Um, Peter is someone that I find fascinating more because he's had all these different kind of cultural interactions, whether it be, you know, the Netherlands, Africa, um, Canada, the United States. Uh, and he happened to find the perfect wife, uh, to compliment that because his wife also grew up around the world um, in a number of different cultures. Uh, and so, yeah, Peter and I discuss kind of his upbringing as well. We really focus on kind of the cultural differences between, you know, Europeans and North Americans and uh, have a lot of fun, have a lot of laughs. You also get a little little tidbit as to if you're ever in the Netherlands or in a Dutch culture of any sort, what to eat and what not to eat uh, near the end there as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this and... Uh yeah. I'm glad you could join me for this. Um, I've been, I've just been like trying to get, I guess, interesting people from my life and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people with obviously like fascinating stories and you obviously have one because I mean, you're European. And so naturally I just assume that, uh, I mean, the majority of our listeners are here in North America and I just kind of figured, you know what, who doesn't want to hear the life of a European and kind of the differences. So we're going to get into that in a bit, but, uh, obviously I just want to introduce you more than anything. Um, this is Peter Frinzel, a good friend of mine from college. We've known each other for almost 10 years now. And, uh, yeah, you are from, I mean, I feel like most people call the Netherlands just Holland, but is there, is there like a, is there a difference? Like do Dutch people get upset if you just refer to it as Holland instead of the Netherlands? Like, is there some sort of pride there or, or how does that work? Well, it's actually... Yeah, that's actually interesting because I didn't even know this until I got married. When Sarah got <laughs> started reading this book, I can't remember what it's called, like some type of book for North Americans who are going to live in the Netherlands or Holland. Yeah. And then um, somewhere in there it stated something that people from up north would get offended if you would call um, the Netherlands Holland, something like that. And if you were in... South Holland, or Southern Holland, um, people get offended if you if you call it the Netherlands, something like that, or vice oh, really? versa. I can't Weird. remember, but um, I'd never heard of it, and so I was like, "Well, I think that's a bunch of baloney." But I've actually heard people like who gotten offended by it, but I think it's just a few. Okay, like, so who cares, right? So how do you, <laughs> how do you refer to it? I guess um, most of the time the Netherlands. If people don't know what that is, then I say Holland. Okay. Yeah, I guess that works. That works. Okay. Now, you're not originally... Wait. Were you born in the Netherlands or... I actually was, yes. Okay. But then... So, walk me through it because I know you grew up also in Africa. Your parents are missionaries. Um, How old were you when you moved down there? 
Um, I moved, um, well, my, my parents moved back when I was four. No, sorry, when I was, uh, I think, four months old or two okay. months, I can remember. Uh, you know, I was too young to remember that. Um, but it was about a couple months old and then until the age of four that we moved back to the Netherlands. Okay, and that was that was it. Then the rest of your life was basically in the Netherlands up until yes. you graduated from high school, essentially. Yeah, Okay. correct. Interesting. Okay, so do you remember much about Africa or Guinea-Bissau itself or any of that or not really? Nothing at all, actually. It's quite sad. Like The only thing I remember uh, was my brother at one point hiding candy, I think, in sand somewhere. <laughs> and I remember a snake. Something like that, like very weird uh, memories. <laughs> okay. So then you grow up in Holland. Um, walk me through what it's like. What What would you say is the difference in being a teenager in the Netherlands and mm-hmm. what you see uh, as like being a teenager in North America? Because you obviously have – or, you know – uh, I don't know what you want to call them, sibling-in-laws. At least when mm-hmm. you first met Sarah, her siblings were all, yeah. well, for the most part, they were all teenagers, or some of them were. Um, yeah, all of them were at that point. One of them was still a kid, but yeah. Yeah, but you saw what their lives were like in like North American culture as teenagers. What would you say, do you, do you see some like stark differences in what it was like being a teenager in Europe compared to in North America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I cannot really compare it well to Sarah's family just because, um, you know, their story is entirely different, right? Right, yeah, um, that's fair. And then, of course, like North America is so big, like, you know, you have Canada, you have uh, United States, and all the states are different as well. Right. But what, one of the things that strikes me the most is, um, is definitely that we have a large moving culture over here. Like, everyone is moving, whether it's bike whether it's you know you walk somewhere uh, but the, the bike is the main uh, means of transportation and so you see all these teenagers on bikes and that's just what you don't see um, in North America quite often like you know pr- probably more along the coast where you have better weather or where you have the possibility to do it more um, but yeah no, that, that's one of the things that I uh, that stood out to me like we, we move a lot over here and cycling is just a way to go Absolutely. And I think with that comes just you know just being outside a lot, a lot more, just moving, uh, doing sports more outside, uh, those type of things that um, yeah those stood out to me. Okay, yeah, no, those are fair things, and that's those are two interesting things because I would agree with you. I think that's something that North Americans have really fallen away from. We are very fascinated with like motorized vehicles. Even I remember. How old was I? I was probably 12, 13 years old. And, you know, like push scooters, like where you put mm-hmm. your one foot on the ground yes. and push it along. Yeah. yeah. Those are super popular. I broke my arm on one, actually, uh, when I was 13. <laughs> Long story. I won't get into it. But I remember I had an awesome little scooter. I loved that thing. And yeah. then there was a kid in my class, and his mom bought him a motorized one. So he could like fire that thing up, and he could just like exactly, yeah. And so it's you're you're very right. We, I think it's probably a safe thing to say that. Um, I mean, there are pockets of super healthy and active North Americans, and and I think it's getting better. But for the most part, I would say you're right. Like 
very lazy in the sense of like automated transportation is the way for us for the most part and yeah staying inside inside is a big thing and i think that's obviously like the rise of technology has you know encouraged especially young people um to stay inside because of technological advancements with you know um computers and social media and uh video games and television and i mean television was a big part of how i grew up i was actually just over at friends for dinner on thursday and we were talking yes. about like growing up and stuff and i i mentioned the simpsons and they were basically saying they grew up in a household where they weren't allowed to watch the simpsons as kids and i was thinking man my mm-hmm. parents let me watch the simpsons when i was a kid and then i thought to myself i used to watch that literally every day when i got home from school so it's like the first thing i would do is get home plant myself in front of a television and so like i think that's just how like our life has become over here is a lot of sitting exactly, in front of a yeah. tv and so mm-hmm. it's that's that's encouraging to hear though that uh you know there's a lot of um active european culture and i i think that that's a that's a special thing it is well actually to, you know to uh, um go back on that a little bit we, we've noticed one thing though since we were back and Sarah and I have been making fun of it a little bit, but you know, when we're older, we're probably going to have the same thing. But one thing that's becoming incredible popular over here uh, are the electric bikes. And so, uh, you know, you, you, I bike almost every single day. Um, you know, whether it's just to go to the train station, to, to catch the train, to go to work, or whether it's through groceries, whatsoever. You know, I, I almost every day, I basically touch my bike. Or, you know, on Sundays we go for a nice long bike ride, you know, along the water. And, you know, and we bike at a pretty, at a pretty decent uh, pace. And then, you know, all of a sudden you look next to you and there's like a 70, 80-year-old coming by with twice as fast <laughs> on an electric bike. Oh, man, that just, that gets my blood boiling right there, you know. Like, I, I, I'm okay, you know, when you're older to have an electric bike. But then to pass someone, a young person, like it's nothing, you know, uh, <laughs> Almost every single morning when I go to the train station, now I, I probably bike with a good uh, 25 kilometer an hour, you know, to the train station. Yeah. And this lady comes by me, probably 56 years old, hands in her pocket, <laughs> and just cycling along, you know, probably 30 kilometers an hour. And every single morning, I'm like, oh no, I just want to kick your bike right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> Peter, you got to go buy that motor for the bike, man. I know, I know, the dumb electric bike, but you know, on the other hand, you know, Sarah uh, has a bike with two uh, seats on it, extra yep. seats, one for Sadie for the front and one for Ian in the back, and I can see, you know, for her how it can be very nice. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know, it keeps you in shape, you know, it keeps Absolutely. you exercised, and it's it's so much better just to keep moving. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and even that that to me is like the funny European side of it because. In North America, motorbikes are very popular, but it's all like <laughs> gas-powered uh, motors and not just like a nice little electric motor on your bicycle. It's, you know, motorcycle yeah. culture is a totally different thing where they come in all shapes and sizes and you can spend as little as like two to $3,000 on a motorbike to like $50,000 on a motorbike. And yet exactly. Europeans keep it simple, man. Just a nice little electric motor. No, no greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, of course. Just well, yeah, you know, we, we have a lot of cars around here. Well, as well. of course, of course. 
it's 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 you know we're such a small country. We have seven like we're we're the size of Vancouver Island. Wow. With seventeen million people on it. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of those people drive a car. Right. And it's right. Uh, you know every morning like there's traffic jams like a couple hundred kilometers of traffic jam. Yeah. On a bad day, I, th- I think our record is at one point it's like nine hundred some kilometer uh, of traffic jams, and that is like from su- southern uh, southern Netherlands to all the way north and back again, and then I think once once more up. So. Yeah. Dude, let me ask you this then: when it comes to European culture, where do you think the mentality of living so simply comes from? Like riding your bike to and from, um, having I mean. I remember the last time you guys were living there. I'm sure you're living in a little bit of a larger home now that you have two kids. But Mm -hmm. it always feels like your guys' houses aren't as, like, large and you don't need as much space as the way, like, North Americans typically live. Um, You don't need this, like, huge, outrageous kitchen with a living room and a dining room. And, you know, you you keep it simple. You keep it small. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Does that is that something that's just been passed down through generations that you know nobody really wants to break off of, um, or is it just the fact that, like you said, you're living in a country the size of Vancouver Island, which is a small island off the coast of BC for those that don't know, um, and you have 17 million people on Vancouver Island. There's probably I don't even know if there's a million people that live on Vancouver Island. To be honest, I think. Eight hundred, uh, I think just eight hundred thousand. Yeah. So, is it the fact that you live in a country so small with so many people that you just have to learn to live compact? Yeah, I, I don't, don't necessarily know why. Like, we have a lot of row houses. Yeah. Small, like row houses. Uh, when we first got married, we lived in a tiny little row house. It was probably equivalent of thirty square feet. I'm not sure how, how it's. Oh, sorry, square, square uh, meter. Okay. Um, or thirty-five. You know, it was just one bedroom, one small, tiny living room, small little kitchen, and that was it. Um, and now, uh, what it would be, maybe we're living in a house 90 to 100 square meter. I'm not sure what, what's that in feet, but, um, but it's a row house. Like, we, we have a lot of row houses, and I think that particularly has to do with space. You know, our houses are also a little higher. Yeah. You, know, you see, of course, in Canada, United States, you see often, like, you know, one level, big bungalows or... Yeah. Uh, maybe two level, but it's it's not three level. Like I'm sitting here in the third level of our house. Right. Um, to give you a little bit of a history, uh, for example, Amsterdam. Like in, when you walk around in Amsterdam, you have very tall buildings. Like and that's not uncommon for cities actually. And uh, like even in, uh, when you go to Germany to some cities, you have very tall houses in the city. But in Amsterdam, back in the day, you were taxed not for the size house, not for the property, but for the width. Of your property like front so if you would stand on the sidewalk they were measured the width of your house and that's your tax and so people would buy this uh, they, they would buy these very narrow plots of land and and then just stack you know, them real high and, and just stack them very high so you have these small tiny little houses basically that are maybe two and a half meters wide or two meters wide and then just very high up there are a couple of those not not many of them anymore but that's at least in Amsterdam. It's very interesting. So where this mentality comes from of like smaller house, I think definitely because of space. Um, you know, land is also very expensive here. Yeah. So it's um, expensive to buy a house. Uh, it's just yeah, it, it's just a totally different um, economy, of course, as well, than Canada or United States. Right. So 
Um, and in, in regards to row house, like they're they're practical. Right. I find. Uh, you know, it's you you have the same size basically in your second level as you have downstairs. Uh, heating wise, it helps as well because you only heat it downstairs. As a real Dutch person, I, I only heat the Dutch the downstairs <laughs> living room, and it just moves up a little bit. And upstairs, it's freezing cold most of the day, you know, because you're only there at nighttime. Right, right. Oh, how so interesting. you live downstairs. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that was something that Sarah really had to get used to because I'm just, you know, all about saving money there, right? Yeah, yeah. So I heat the living room, keep the living room door closed. And upstairs, you know, before you go to bed, maybe turn the heater on very quickly and then turn it off. Uh, it's just nice. Absolutely. You know, it's cold. You know, you're warm underneath the blanket. Yeah. But yeah, so, so definitely, like, the heat rises, of course. Like, some people cause that the rest of the house is heated by the downstairs and they don't turn the heat up downstairs. I'm not totally sure, yeah, why it's a bit smaller. It's, I think it really has to do with uh, the, the amount of money you pay for a house and then as well the amount of land that is available to 17 million people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. And you do make a very good point with like the concept of not just being cheap when it comes to like uh, heating your house, but also being practical in the sense of like, yeah, you do heat that lower level. And for anyone who doesn't know, heat rises. So naturally, your upper levels are going to catch that excess heat exactly. from that bottom level. And so, yeah, it's... It is funny when you, you know, I, I know several, you know, North American families and stuff who have, you know, wood stoves in their house, but it's on the main floor, not in the basement. And so their basement yeah. is freezing cold, but the main floor of their mm-hmm. house is nice and warm. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just good logic right there. But yeah, I mean, as we talk about it, obviously space has got to be the biggest thing. Now, what does it's hard to like compare houses but like say you went with like a three-bedroom home okay you got Mm -hmm. you got your two kids so they each you know maybe they each get their own bedroom you guys have your room let's go four bedroom actually because if people ever come to visit you need to put them somewhere right if mom and dad ever come stop by you know so what would a four-bedroom house cost in the netherlands on on average do you like even give me a ballpark number you know, like, are we talking yeah. a couple hundred grand? Are we talking a million dollars? Like, it re- really depends on the location again. Like, absolutely. When you go more up north, like northeast, the houses are cheapest. Okay. Probably, like, uh, I'm pretty sure they're, they're the cheapest there. Like, if you go more towards uh, the west, south, southwest, it's more expensive. Central Netherlands is expensive. Um, like, where we live, I think like a house like that, like we, we live in a three bedroom house. Like we also have an attic. Like we could potentially make a room out of um, this up, up attic space there. that I'm sitting up right now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, like I, I think this house would probably be valued at $350,000, like Canadian dollar. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Maybe a little less. Like I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Like it's, uh, it's very hard to say. Yeah. Um, like I, I remember. Uh, we lived at one point in a smaller house, just a town uh, next to here. When I was in my, uh, uh, when I was in college, my parents bought a small little row house. And it was two and a half, yeah, three bedroom maybe, like very yeah. tiny bedrooms as well. And that was valued at, at that point at 180,000 euros. So I think that's an equivalent of 
240,000 Canadian dollars, something like that. Okay. Wow. See, I guess yeah, they're, they're I just, just Well, I just think a lot about like how Canadians live and like a lot of my friends who are now purchasing homes and they're all looking for land. Like they all want an acreage. They want a big backyard for their kids to go and play in. Uh, and their dogs to run around and you know they all want like a garage or a shop so that they can work on their cars or tinker around on their toys right mm-hmm. um and i mean in williams lake it's obviously different than if you lived in you know downtown vancouver um but also in a place like vancouver you don't get land and so that's something that i kind of wonder as well are are acreages not farms but acreages where you have like say an acre of of land or whatever with a house mm-hmm. and you know a shop or whatever it might be on it um are like are those common or is that only out in like the country you, you have it um but it's often not in town like really like the, the, the like this town for example we're living in um within the town you basically only have row houses you have some you know larger properties with just like one house and then a bigger house you know people have a little more money uh you have some uh, what you call um two under one roof so you have a double house okay uh, like a, duplex. You call it in, uh, a duplex basically yeah okay um, you have that as well but you know within town you don't really have an acreage like people who live outside of uh this town have have a couple acres um you know it just depends, of course, what you can afford. And yeah. those are mainly farmers or people who have a lot of money who are able to uh, buy a piece of property and live outside of the town. Right. And like you said, obviously property comes at a premium price. So it's it's mm-hmm. not like just anyone can go and buy you know a couple acres of land and, and build their dream home on it or something like that. Um, oh, no, exactly. Yeah. Now, well, I, I told my brother at one point, like he, ha- he has a duplex uh, a little north of here, more expensive town. You know, I'm, it's a pretty big house for Dutch standards, and I won't average. You know, it's uh, it's nice. Yeah. But he can he, he can sell this house and buy my in-laws' property of hundred and I think it's hundred and forty acres of land with the house on it in Kentucky. Oh, wow. You know, it's it's just funny. Oh. He has a duplex. Yeah. With and, a small garden. And yet, that's <laughs> the value of it. Well, and then you will have probably about a hundred thousand bucks left. Oh my god! Like you cannot compare it. That's outrageous. That is outrageous yeah. to think that that is how it like translates. Mm-hmm. Wow. So let me ask you this: in, I mean, let's go with the size of a Davidson apartment because that's what you lived in yes. in Canada for a good chunk of your well, at least the second time around when you had kids. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how big is that in comparison to the majority of the houses that you've lived in? Would you say that's a larger apartment? Would you say it's a smaller apartment? The first house Sarah and I lived in uh, when we just got married. Yeah. Um, and I speak from the two-bedroom apartment in Davidson because we also live in a three-bedroom. The two-bedroom apartment was bigger uh, by a far bit than the first little house that we lived in. Right. Um, the the three bedroom apartment you can basically compare it to the house we're in right now. Like it's uh, this might be a little bit bigger just because the attic. If the attic wasn't there, three bedroom apartment in Davidson would have definitely been bigger. Okay, okay. Uh, um, like also having like one and a half bathroom. Like we used to have. Well, basically uh, we have the same actually one and a half bathroom as well. Now that I think of it. Um, yeah. So. 
that's about the the the, the three bedroom apartments. Probably together with this house, the biggest we've lived. Okay. Okay. Now, do you like living in in the smaller or the larger style house? Like, which which one do you do you like having the extra room, or are you content being with a, a smaller, you know, living area? I myself am pretty content with this. Okay. Um, as long as like you know we have um, bedrooms for the kids, both a separate bedroom. I enjoy that our own bedroom. And then, you know, if we can even have, like, an extra office space or a uh, guest room, it would be terrific, actually. Okay. <laughs> Might sound, uh, actually, you know, it, 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 I don't know. Um, we like to invite like to invite people, have them stay the night. Yep. So, therefore, we need an extra bedroom. However, we also try to be pretty flexible. So, we, we had a couple come over a couple months ago. And so, we told Ian, you got to sleep with Sadie. And they can go into his bedroom, right? Like it's, yeah. uh, you know, you can do all sorts of those type of uh, tricks. Um, but I, I do like my space. I do like my space. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. That's, and that's good to know. I mean, I just always assume that you know a lot of European people just live in these tiny little apartments or really small houses, and they just make it work because that's just how their parents did it, and their grandparents, and you know, everyone else before them. Um, mm-hmm. which it kind of sounds like based on the fact of how they were charging by land, like width wise. Uh, yeah, well, that was typical Amsterdam, you know, like for, right. for Amsterdam, that was very typical, but you know, if, if you go to Germany, for example, particularly Southern Germany, we, we've lived as well. Um, houses are a lot bigger there. Uh, okay. Not all of them, of course, but in general, the houses are a lot bigger. They have these huge German, uh, farmhouses with like 10 bedrooms or, you know, whatsoever. Like wow. it's uh, it's a completely different story again. Okay. So it's, it's it's hard to say, you know, from a European perspective. This is like you know a small, a tiny little part of, of course, the larger continent. Right. So uh, this is like Dutch perspective more than anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. So walk with me through the economy a little bit, and when it comes to jobs and trades and stuff like that, um, you know. You obviously you understand a little bit of like Alberta culture um, in Canada and how the oil fields are kind of king there, um, and so and and so having a trade in mechanics or heavy duty mechanics or uh, electrician plumber you know these these very much like industrial trades are the big money making jobs um, with I mean little to no education but but they've gained a lot of popularity. Uh, in Canada, especially in probably the last, I mean, they've always been popular, but they've gained even more because of how quickly you can make a hundred thousand dollars in a year. Um, Mm -hmm. are there, are there jobs like that, that you see in Europe that are like rising super fast, like industries where you see a lot of young people going, I want to go into this because it's going to, you know, fulfill my desires. And I mean, typically with young people, it's, I want to make lots of money. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you see that at all? No, not necessarily. Um, at least not from what I know. Um, what what we do have is a lack of engineers right now in the Netherlands. Like we're we're very technical, logical minded, and so you know there's a lot of advances that we make, and um, but there's not a lot enough engineers and technical people in the Netherlands. Like um, as well, when we look at trades, that's one thing I noticed in Canada, particularly in Alberta. 
you know, and people like a plumber or a mechanic, you know, that, that's not uh, a very well-paid job over here. And then I hear the numbers, you know, people make in Canada. I'm like, wow, and this, that, that right. is ridiculous, you know, for just having done a trade. Because yeah. over here, like, you know, a trade, yeah, it's not always paid well. Um, I do believe, you know, for example, like a, a carpenter, you know, who is a uh, artist or, you know, craftsman, um, you know, you can, if you, if you built your own stuff, you know, you can, of course, sell it at a certain value. You know, you can make your money that way. Um, you know, you're, you're definitely worth your wages. But, yeah, the, the, the comparison was, for me, like, totally out of the roof. Like, it's, there's, there's no comparison there. Because over here, it's a low-paying job to be a plumber. And over there, you know, you just, you're making so much money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, like, I, I wouldn't really say, you know, there's, like, one thriving uh, part of the economy that um, causes like for example a lot of teenagers uh, to want to do a certain job Um, like the whole system is also geared a little different over here like in high school uh, you um, we we have about four or five different levels of high school so we have a trade high school you know where you say you know it's most of the time is for people with a uh basically like a lower level of education or a lower level, like we're a little later in life uh, with uh, their development, you know, they immediately go, for example, into a a cook trading or carpenter trading, something like that. And then you eventually get to high school level, uh, what you know in North America, and then we have four levels of those. You have a MAFO. I I often compare that to uh, the high schools in North America. You know, you Mm -hmm. just get the same subjects, same level, then you have HAFO, what is one year extra. You go a little bit more in depth uh, into your subjects, um, and you you, t- you take several more subjects on. And then you have FABO, what's six years, and you take on more subjects, and it's more in depth. With the first level, you can only do a sort of like a trade um, school, sort of like uh, how you call it. It's not necessarily a bachelor, but it's, you know, you do a lot more uh, things just in what you call it again there's a certain name for it in North America sorry about that no it's all good it's all uh, good and more, more, more or less like an apprenticeship like you know you go ha- halfway okay so like um, a trade half time to yeah you know part time to school part time to uh, like an apprenticeship job yeah apprenticeships or some of them have you know you do first three years of school and then one year of apprenticeship and if you have the fourth level, you immediately can go into a full bachelor. Okay. Um, and if you, that's the HAFO, so if you have five years of study in high school. But if you have uh, FAVO, then you can go straight into university, six years of university. So it's, it's, it's totally different um, setup because there's only so many people who do uh, the highest level and who go straight into university. There's so many, so, so many people who can go straight into a bachelor and there's so many people who go into uh, sort of like a trade bachelor, let's, let's call that. Wow. Trade school okay. bachelor type of thing, yeah. Okay, so then now you being a father of two kids and say you guys stay there for the next 20 years, I don't know. Um, is there a way in raising your children that you would want to prepare them for any particular level of those schools? Or is it like if your son was like, you know what, dad, 
I just want to be a cook. Like, it's just what I'm passionate mm-hmm. about that you're like, all right, cool. That's my boy. We're going to get you into that, like, I mean, I don't want mm-hmm. to call it lower level. Like, I'm not trying to insult Europeans by saying lower level at all. But just that lowest level of education that you're like, all right, boy, go have at her. Or is there a mentality of like, no, you know what? Maybe still achieve the the full six-year, which is Favio? Is that what it is? Favio, yeah. Favio. Yeah, and and then it's like if after those years you still want to do it, you can still join into that if you like or how does that work? It, it's actually very hard um, to switch careers um, okay. no, or you know, to, to once you have done one track but you actually want to continue on or do something like completely different. For example, like if you are uh, – like I, I did retail management right. in the Netherlands. And when I was done, if I would become a doctor, it would have been basically impossible. Wow. There would have been no way for me to become a, a doctor. I probably had to first do a, bachelor, a complete bachelor in like nursing maybe or something like that. And I, I don't know what I should have done, but, you know, it's it's very hard to do it. So, um, it's not like, you know, in the, United, in the United States where I have a bachelor in theology, I can go and do a master's in business administration. Um, right. I cannot do that here. Like I, I, I thought about that. You know, I'm going to do a master oh, in business administration. You cannot do it. It's, um, you know, you have to do maybe a year um, extra studies or two years, but then you have to have also the right uh, um, prerequisites that you've done before. So, right. If you have not, you know, those things uh, that you need in order to get in, you're, you're basically stuck. Wow. You know, th- there are ways, but it's it's very hard to do. Yeah. Um, there's a funny story several years ago um, a boy graduated from high school the highest level in high school but he graduated with a record like he only had um, A pluses in, uh, equivalent of um, you know n- North American like it's uh, all 9s and 10s over here so nine, all, everything between 90 and 100 right and he was interviewed for it on national television and they asked ah, you know what, what are you going to do now and he's like well um, I'm actually going to do this university degree. Uh, and then afterwards, I'm going to become a bus driver. <laughs> th- that was his passion. That was his dream. He just He's wanted like, to be a you know, bus driver. I, I, he wanted to be a bus driver, but he was not old enough to, to get his license. He's like, well, I'm first going to go do six years of university, get his like super, like do this super uh, difficult university degree and then he's like yeah and then i'm gonna get my bus license and uh, become a bus driver oh wow you know you, you hear those type of stories but um like it, it doesn't necessarily happen very often you know but like you know when, when people have a passion for example become a cook or do uh work more in um, hotel management or restaurants you know if you have a bachelor you know you can do a bachelor in um what you call i think it's like they call it here horeca management. It's more like the restaurant management, hotel management. You know, you can do those type of things, and you can still become a cook for all you know. But uh, you know, do, doing something below your level is a lot easier than moving that climbing up, climbing up and moving the ladder. So then, let me ask you this now, because I think this plays into at least in North American culture. I think about a lot of young people who don't know what they want to do yet at the age of 18 when they graduate. And so there's a lot of people who take a year off just to work and save up money for university. 
Um, and I think it's it's sad because we've now institutionalized young people into assuming that at age 18, when your brain hasn't completely like formed, um, well, it's formed, but like it hasn't, you're, you may not know yourself as well as you maybe should at 18. You haven't quite figured out your identity as to who you really are. We're trying to tell people at that age, go pursue an education, go into debt um, to pursue something that you may like, you may not like. And granted, there are those people who already know at that age uh, what they want to do, but there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people who are like, "Uh, I'm just going to university for the sake of going to university. You know, and I even think about it myself, you know, I went to school because my parents basically said, you either got to go to school or get a job. And basically, if you're getting a job, it almost sounded like you need to then go and take care of yourself sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, might as well go to school. I already know what that's like. Um, <laughs> and so I went and got a degree and not necessarily that it was a wasted degree or anything like that, but I'm not using it. It's not something that I, I utilize on a daily basis and not something that I'm opposed to using, but just after looking back at it, I realized maybe I wasn't as passionate about youth ministry as I thought I was when I first got into it mm-hmm. and just assumed yeah. that to succeed in life, you need to have graduated from high school, you need a college education, and then you need to do a job for the next 40 years that you're going to love. And I'm realizing that's just that's not true that's not how it works and so is there something in you find at least even when you grew up in whether it be dutch culture whether it be european culture whatever it might be um that helps prepare kids for the things that they're passionate about the job that they should be pursuing um so that like you just said with this guy who wanted to be a bus driver or even for yourself when you went into retail management is there something that encourages you that goes, you know what, retail management would be perfect for you, Peter, and you're not going to want to be a doctor in 10 years for, you know, this reason. But then because, mm-hmm. you know, in North America, that happens, you know, you may go into retail yeah. management for four years and then go, you know what, screw this. I, I've i watched 10 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. I want to be a doctor so badly now. And, <laughs> and people can do that in North America, right? You can drop whatever you're doing. You can pick up a... Uh, a new education somewhere else and yeah. um, and you can go and become a doctor in, in you know seven to ten years it's not an easy road but you can at least change your career so quickly here and like mm-hmm. you were just saying it's not very easy to do in you know especially in Dutch culture um, mm-hmm. what what helps prepare young kids to, to know where they want to go that's very interesting because I I was a late bloomer and so um, I think my life would have been completely different if I wasn't. Um, I was talking to my dad the other day, you know, we're talking about this as well, where I've made certain life choices. Uh, it all comes down to as I was a late bloomer. I was not, uh, I didn't like to study. I hated school, like with a passion. You know, he still remembers me just being angry, you know, trying to do homework because I just wasn't getting it yet. And it's funny it's because now I look back and I wish, wish that I, was more serious. I wish I actually had taken interest in it. It's because I think I would have, my life would have been completely different. On the other hand, you know, God leads us in a certain way. He's created us in a certain way. 
And I would not have done certain things if it wasn't for that, right? I don't think I would have eventually gone to Prairie. I think I would have done a completely different track if it wasn't a late bloomer. Um, I probably would have gone to university immediately and done something um, completely different. But that aside, um, in I'm not so sure they start in elementary school, but definitely in high school, within the first two years, they start gearing you towards um, a track already. So they look at, you know, what you're good at. So, for example, if you're good at math, you know, maybe engineering might be interesting for you or uh, maybe some other science. I don't know what, what they all use for math. Or, you know, if you're good in um, biology, you know, maybe nursing. So, you know, they, they try to track you towards your gifting. So the, if you're good at languages, you know, maybe become a language teacher or maybe become a translator or something else, right? So they, they started looking at those type of things at an early age, and then they try to get you familiar to uh, what education is like. For example, I remember having to go to different colleges to to figure out, you know, what would be my next step. So I even had to go to like this uh, college fair, basically. All these colleges were uh, were there, you know, present, and I had to talk to people about that, you know, what their education was like. But it also had to take like you know days um, where I had to just one one day long be in a certain trade. So they do th- these type of things. Um, but it's you know looking back, I never knew what I wanted to do actually at that time. Like I just did it because people told me you know what food, what what could fit me well. Um, when I was a uh, teenager. My, my parents, my brother, like everyone around me was like, you know, you should, be, you should become a salesman. Like everyone said that. So automatically, you know, you're like, okay, you know, I probably have to do some type of business. Because, uh, you know, I, I was told that I could uh, sell a bag of ice to an Eskimo, you know, or <laughs> you know, just, just sell a bag of air, you know, to, to anyone on the street. That's, yeah. That was basically people told me. So I never believed it necessarily, but until I did it, but um, no, it's a, so, you know, I automatically eventually went into retail management, you know, and retail, there's sales involved. So I did that soon enough. I kind of discovered, you know, that's definitely not what I wanted to do. Uh, like after I was done, like in my last year, I just did it. Like, and I, uh, did the last one and a half or two years within a year or something like that, because I was not motivated, but I wanted to finish. So I just finished it. Um, so it's, it's, they have these things in place that they do, you know, they prepare them, they look at the gifting, they look at, you know, what subjects are you good in high school? Let's push you towards that. That's basically what I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. You see, and I think that's the difference right there. Like in North America, we don't do that. We just give you a wide range of everything and you have to be competent in all areas. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't matter if you don't like science, you still have to take science or English or, you know, um, math or whatever it might be. I mean, I knew so many people who just like math just did not click in their head, but you're mm-hmm. forced to take it regardless of yeah, yeah. whether or not it's it's beneficial to you, even though, you know, the minute you're done school, the only math you're ever going to do is calculating if you can afford to buy something and the amount of mm-hmm. money that's in your bank account, right? 
But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 thing is, like, e even though they push towards um, a certain area, you still have to continue on taking everything else that you're taking. Um, you you eventually yeah. can drop one or two subjects. Like for example, uh, for my first two years, I took everything. Uh, you know, high school, even French, German, like English, uh, math, biology chemistry everything and then in my last two years i was able to drop one or two subjects like you don't have to but i dropped french immediately you know i was like <laughs> i I'm, I'm terrible in languages uh, i'm not so sure if i dropped even germany uh, german but um and i think chemistry something like that like i dropped a couple things that i didn't like and was bad at dude uh, don't ever say you're bad at language you have some of the best English of any foreign person I know and you learned it at like the age of 18 well it's actually funny you know like because I, I, I tell people that indeed you know but I, I really didn't like languages when I was younger and my dad kept saying it's like well you know um, you have to do the languages you know they're so important in your life one day you will regret that and when I moved, moved to Germany you know my German was so terrible <laughs> and I just was back in Germany a couple of weeks ago, you know, for, for vacation. And after two year, two and a half years of living there, uh, my German has become pretty good. Okay. Uh, a person even asked me, you know, where in Germany are you from? I'm like, well, I'm actually not German. I'm Dutch. And they're like, oh, now I can hear it, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's was, it was quite funny to uh, all of a sudden realize how dumb my choices were when I was younger. <laughs> But I, I just had no passion for language. I was like, you know, I'm never going to move anywhere. I loved the Netherlands that, back then. I was like, I'm only going to live here. I'm never going to move away from the Netherlands. So I'm not going to use it. Dude, and now listen to you, man. Like, you're you're good, dude. You're good. And you, you pick it up, obviously, quite quickly. So <clears throat> to take things in a bit of a different direction here, Peter, in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes we got here, um, I want to... Dude, I want to do some. I want to run through some things here. Um, so, you've lived in Europe and you've lived in different parts of North America. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know your favorite thing about Canada. Maple syrup. Maple syrup. Okay, okay. <laughs> I like that. And, I like well, that. actually, um, BC, and then particularly nature. Let's say like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was your least favorite part of living in Canada? Oh, that's a hard one. I think the lack of um, biking, particularly in winter, you know, because in Alberta, you just don't bike. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, Three Hills in particular, there's a lot of biking that goes on. But, yeah, I mean, I just don't know that many people who get on the bike in the winter, Peter. Maybe, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's David true. Nadeau. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that exactly. guy will bike well, year-round. Now that I think of it, one of my one of the least favorite things actually in Canada, well, it's also been maybe a little more North America, but one thing I really had to get used to when I was at Prairie at yeah. the beginning where you would walk past someone and someone you say, how are you doing? And oh. just keep walking. <laughs> well, I, 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 it, it got my blood boiling so many times. And, you know, eventually I just stopped and I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? You know, and I just tried to get a conversation going because I'm like, who says, how are you doing? You know, when you're not even interested in how I'm actually doing, you keep on walking. 
Uh, that, that was one of my least favorite things. That that got me so frustrated. Dude, it's just an addition to uh, saying the word hello. Hey, how's it going? You know, I know. I'm so used to people doing that to me, even now. And all I do is, if we're walking by each other and you say, hey, how you doing? I'll go, good, and you? And, like, I could care less what their response is. It's just more just the commonality. And yeah, yeah. I feel like it's rude. But the other part I'm learning, too, is like, <laughs> I'm currently living in a city, like an actual city of probably 80 to 100,000 people. And you just – the one thing I noticed is you don't look people in the eyes. Yeah. You know? And and I don't know if it's like a, a cultural thing or what, but you just don't – like you don't make eyes with people, you know? Like you walk down the road and you just stay focused on what you're doing. You don't look over. Like I'm so used to in these smaller towns, you look over because you might know the person. And so then, of course, conversation can start from there. But here, it's like you just keep walking until someone taps you on the shoulder, you know, pushes you in the arm, whatever it might be, to let you know that they obviously know you or waves or something like that. Then you just kind of keep moving on in your way or like in your direction. And people almost like, give you a funny looks if you try and like look them in the eyes at all or it, it's weird. Yeah. it's weird but yeah okay so yeah. then living in because you spent a bit of time down in kentucky as well mm-hmm. uh what was your favorite part about america america um i think the the variety of landscape like again nature it's yeah, one of, one of the most essential parts of my life, I think. You know, just being out in nature and seeing so many beautiful uh, uh, things. Actually, in the United States, you know, the United States is one of those countries that have, I think, almost every single like ecosystem. Uh, uh, yeah, ecosystem in the world, right? They have, have a bit of desert, they have a bit of in Alaska. Of course, never been to Alaska, but you know, they've the uh, really cool. Yeah. They've done, yeah, exactly. But they also have this this south where it's hot and like you have everything. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of true, I guess. Yeah, they they really do have a, a wide range. I mean, that's kind of the neat part about North America as a whole is that, yeah, you yeah. do get like – you get the prairies, but you also get like – I mean, even in BC, we actually have a bit of a rainforest as well. Exactly, but, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. You know, there's you know a couple deserts throughout the United States and, you know, I don't even know how to describe really what the south is where it's so hot and humid. Yeah. And, you know, that's where you get – you know, some very interesting vegetation that grows. Like that's where all the tobacco, you know, industry tobacco, is exactly. and cotton. And, you know, like there's some really neat things that grow down there that don't really grow anywhere else based on um, the climate, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, you are, you are right. N- nature is a, is a very interesting thing in North America, especially. Yeah. So, yeah. so then I want a different thing, but what was your least favorite part about the United States? I think the, the my least favorite part about the United States is that people tend to th- think more in extremes. Um, okay. And particularly political. Yeah. It's one of the uh, I, I, I keep saying that about um, you know North, North Americans. Whether you're leftist, whether you're rightist, you know to the right, like people think in extremes. It seems uh, there's no center. There's nothing in between. And of course, that's not everyone, right? But in yeah. like when. When you, when you hear things on television, the news, it's often the people who think in extremes that are portrayed. Absolutely. And also, you know, people I've met in North in, in, in United States who are who have some of those extremes, right? Yeah. And um, they're yeah, I don't know. That, that's one of the things that I just don't get and I don't enjoy. 
For sure, for sure. Okay, now let's switch over to Europe a little bit here. Um, favorite European vacation destination? So there must be a place where I've been then, eh? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, <laughs> have you, you traveled you know, to a I, lot of I, European countries or not really? No, actually not, not really. Um, like I, I've been in several, like been, of course, in the Netherlands, been in England, Germany, uh, Switzerland, Austria, Luxembourg, France, Spain, Portugal. To not um, many folks. Give me a break. Okay, you've obviously been well, to Italy it, as well. It, you have a sister it, who lives it, in Italy. Fu- no, I, I've never you, been to Italy. My, you've my, never been there? My, no, my brother-in-law is Italian, uh, but I've, I've never been there. Okay. Um, no, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I've traveled a lot more in North America. You know, when you talk to North Americans, go travel to Europe. Yeah. There's a bunch of more, North Americans who see more of Europe. You know, and I've <laughs> only been, like, for example, once in Spain. I've only been in Barcelona, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've, I've only um, been in the northern part of, well, on the eastern part of France, Um in Germany, like I've been almost all all over Germany, uh, England. I've only been in London and Birmingham, and Birmingham you just don't want to be. You know that's so ugly. Like you, you never want to go there. <laughs> Shout out to so Birmingham. My... Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely don't want to go there. It's it, it's terrible. I even was asked to go work there at one point, and I was immediately. I didn't have to think about it. I was like, no, no. I don't want to live there. No, um, no, no, no. No, I. I, I, I I think the Alps are beautiful. Um, okay. You know, Switzerland, Aust- Austria. Yep. Um, like even like little part of southern Germany, there it's gorgeous. It's just incredible, beautiful. Okay. Okay. No, that's good to know. Now let's dive into the Dutch here a little bit. Um, obviously, Amsterdam in North America, everyone knows the marijuana thing uh, and how it's legal. Now, is it a legal substance throughout all of the Netherlands, or is it just an Amsterdam thing? I don't know exactly how the laws are at this moment because they have they have changed um, some things, oh, wow. uh, like the amount that you carry. Um, also, tourists are They're not like prohibited able to buy. from purchasing it. Hey, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, you can only buy it now with a Dutch passport. So, you know, there's probably ways of still getting it, right? Like, yeah. you know, you have the coffee shop still. Like, it's not a coffee shop where you get coffee, but coffee shops where you get uh, drugs. Yeah. You still have them. Um, you, ha- you have them, I think, in different cities. Like, it's funny. It's like I I used to know a lot more about it when I was younger, but not anymore. It's um, I don't even know what the laws now are anymore. The only thing I heard, you know, that uh, tourists are not able to purchase them officially. Okay. Okay, so then is it common at all uh, to see someone, like, spark up a joint walking down the road? Or is that, like, do you have to do it in the confines of your home and or in, like, an, an establishment of some sort that allows it? Uh, or can you just, like, while you're riding your bike to the train station, just light up a joint and smoke it on your way to the train? Yeah, I, I actually don't know what what, what a okay. loss are according to that. Um, okay. Like I I've, I have seen people you know smoking outside, not a lot. You know, you hardly right. ever see it. Um, I remember actually when I was in uh, when I was in college, and I went to the I was in Zwolle, it was just a city north of here. And I came to the train station and I sat down, and this huge guy comes walking up, you know, like just like big, yeah. and he sits down next to me, and he just starts swearing, and he's like, oh, you know, I have to go all the way here. 
you know, to to buy to buy drugs now, and he opens his coat both ways, and and in both big like pockets, he has this huge bag full of marijuana sitting there, and just angry that he had to take a ten minute uh, train ride in order to buy it. The inconvenience. He's like, of, no, you want some? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it's just funny, you know, to, to see to see that happen. But that's only one occasion I've actually seen a, pers- a person who purchased it. Um, okay. You know, actually purchased it. And uh, other than that, I've actually never really encountered it. Okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Now, okay, here's another European one for you. Now, with soccer being so big as it is in Europe, mm-hmm. if we had to get rid of soccer as a European sport and you had to replace it with... American football, basketball, or hockey, which one would you choose? Field hockey or ice hockey? Oh, we're talking ice hockey, bro. Okay. How dare yeah, you even ask did. field hockey? <laughs> well, because the Netherlands is like pretty good at field hockey, right? Like, uh, you know, we're, uh, that, that's at least one sport that we can win quite <laughs> often. Um, personally, I, I would probably do, do hockey. Okay. You'd like to see a little more hockey, if anything, in uh, in, yeah. in the Dutch? Uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough, fair enough. All right. Now, it wouldn't be the end of this podcast, Peter. I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought up that uh, maple syrup is your favorite thing because I pulled up this AmsterdamTourist.info uh, website here with 15 of the – most delicious and famous Dutch foods, and I want your mm-hmm. opinion on all of them, whether they're underrated, overrated, or properly rated. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, herring or Hollandaise Nieuw? How do you pronounce oh, that? Oh, Hollandse Nieuw. Yeah. Okay. Hollandse Nieuw. Okay. Is that is that underrated, totally overrated, or properly rated as being a great Dutch food? That, that tourists should for sure go and like eat when they get there. I I think it's properly rated. Okay. Um, like I, I don't like herring myself, but there's a lot of people who do. So and it's very popular over here. So I think it's something that people got to try. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Stroop waffle. Properly rated. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. See, I love stroop waffle, guys. I found this little Dutch store when I was living in. Uh, I was working at a camp one summer. Uh, I happened to be working with some Dutch kids, and so they were mentioning this place. It's called the Wooden Shoe, and we mm-hmm. went there, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you gotta buy some of these things. They're like cookies, except they're like miniature waffles." And I was like, "All right, I'll try some." I probably spent I don't know how many hundreds of dollars on those things that summer, but we would go there so often, <laughs> and I would buy probably like six packages of them, and they each had ten waffles in them. And oh, they're just so good. So anyways, they are so tasty, and particularly when they're fresh, when they're just warm. Like oh. I actually just had one today on the market where they were making them fresh, and they're <laughs> so right. good. Yeah, see, I never got them like that. They were always like prepackaged, so they probably weren't even well, like come, come legit strip offs. Okay, croquettes. Ooh, um, I think. Oh, oh, overrated. Overrated. Okay. Person. See, and I'm a sucker for anything that's deep fried. So for me, well, this it, is it, my bread and butter. But yeah, yeah. No, we, we do a lot of deep fried stuff, right? Like you know, we are a, a, a moving nation, but 
the contrast is here, or the ironic thing is, we deep fry so much. Like every household basically has a deep fryer in in the shed. Uh, once, maybe twice a month, the thing is on. Maybe even three times a month. Yeah. I don't know. Like you know, we, we we don't have one, but I know a lot of families who do it once a month. Uh, sorry, once a week. Okay. Deep fry. Whether it's Just fries or other snacks. Yep. Like well, we even have these Chinese snacks that were deep fried. Like it's, it's ridiculous, but it, they're tasty. But I, yeah, cro- croquette are just my own least favorite of the mall, I think. Wow. So. Okay. Okay. Well, it's interesting you said fries because we got uh, patat. Yeah, patat. Which is basically just French fries, people. But it says yeah. that, I mean, it's typical. Everyone knows the European way to eat them is with mayonnaise. Um, and then it says tomato ketchup, which I find funny is because I, I don't know of any other kind of ketchup that isn't tomato. And then it also offers a couple other dippings, which are curry or peanut sauce. Have you ever had them with curry yeah. or peanut sauce? Is it good that way? The, the, the best way is to get a patat orlog, what is the fries war, what is the mayonnaise and the, and the peanut sauce with onions. They call it the fries war. Is because you have to white against the black basically, right? So, um, but it's <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's actually delicious. saying that right in here. It says a famous combination: mayonnaise, chopped onions, and peanuts. Yes, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, it says it is tasty, but it does not look that way. So, so yeah, keep that in mind, true. folks. It may look gross, but apparently, it tastes delicious. It's delicious. Okay, I'm gonna destroy this name. Poffer teas. Poffertjes. Poffertjes. Okay, so it talks about them looking like a baby pancake, except they look a little fluffier, a little fatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you just eat them with a fork? And yes. And are those? Would you say they're they're an overrated thing or an underrated thing? Overrated, just because like in North America you have the pancakes, right? Okay, and I so think basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it tastes a little different, and you put uh, powdered sugar over it. Okay. Or in, like some so some people might put in, uh, like put some uh, jam or like some of that over it. But basically the same thing. Okay. Uh, how about Structure bitter? A little different. How about bitter balling? Bitter ball. It's the same thing as a croquette. Yeah, that's uh, what I kind of uh, wondered. I was reading these descriptions and yeah. I was like, pretty sure this is just a croquette, except smaller and just round with a toothpick in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like in like we 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 often say you know we're translated into bitter balls, but. <laughs> <laughs> just to uh, for the Americans to come visit us, but bitter ball, yeah, bitter balls. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, o- overrated. I find them. Okay, droopies. 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 Um, it, it depends which ones because you have the the uh, the double salt, but are super salty. Like almost any North American that I know spits it out immediately when it touches their tongue. I yeah. like them. Um, like it's a typical Dutch thing, so that's therefore I, I would say it's a well-rated. Okay. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I've eaten these things, folks. Uh, Dutch people love giving these to North Americans who have never had them because they love seeing the facial reaction. I swear. Yeah. Uh, and when you get that double salt, it just like it just pulls the muscles on your jaw so tightly that you're like, oh. It's like getting electrocuted because you so badly want to spit it out, but at the same time you want to see how it develops. Because for me, I was like, "Oh, it's licorice," so of course it's going to somehow, hopefully, get sweet at some point. But nope, it's just this bitter, miserable taste that, for some reason, Dutch people love it. <laughs> exactly. All right, 
Let's roll into some cheese here, Peter. How about Koss? Yeah, that, we were talking about it today, Sarah and I. We were walking in the market, and we're like, you know, we're living in a land of cheese. So many good cheese here. Like, that is a well-rated. Like, that. that's properly rated. Okay, okay. Now, let's see. It talks about five traditional cheese markets. Uh, Alkmaar, Edam. Yeah. Horn, Gouda, and Warden. Yeah. Now, are those places where you buy cheese from, or are those the types of cheese? Um, well, the uh, the Gouda, that's actually also the name of, like, you know, where you guys know the, the Gouda cheese. Yeah. That's actually the place where it's from. Uh, okay. And so you also have the Augmarsakas, but... Those towns actually have big cheese markets. Like in Gouda, they actually have a huge cheese market. And you go there, I'm not sure if it's every day or maybe it's only Saturdays, I don't know, but um, where you just have cheese everywhere. Okay. From what I've heard. I've never been to a market like that. I've only seen it in pictures. But All right. Well, gun to your knee, would you eat a piece of Gouda or eat them first? Gouda. Gouda. Okay. Okay. All right, Peter. Next one, overrated or underrated? Hagelslag. Who? Um, I think uh, I, I would say underrated, Ooh. and that is because um, we have so many different kinds of them. Okay. Like there's not just one type of sprinkle or Hagelslag. You know, I think North America they say sprinkles. Like we have the chocolate sprinkles, but we also have. Um, like milk chocolate sprinkles, we have white chocolate sprinkles. We have the co- combination right. of milk and white. We have pure <laughs> chocolate sprinkles. We have fruit chocolate sprinkles. We have cookie uh, sprinkles. Okay. We have any type of sprinkles you can imagine. So I would say underrated. <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask you this: uh, Do you feel like most people should really try? Now, ooh, this bread looks like it hasn't been toasted. Do you just eat it on mm-hmm. just a – is there a certain type of bread you should try this on if you're a North American like – or can it just be on a piece of white plain Jane bread, throw some sprinkles on it and call it a day? No. You, you, yeah, of course you can put it in anything. Uh, like some people like it to put it on toast because it's warm. Chocolate yeah. might melt a little bit. It's yeah. nice. But personally, like, I, th- I think most Dutch people would just take a nice piece of bread, butter it, put it on there. Like I even like, you know, it's maybe a tiny little warm still from the oven when it still melts a little bit, it's nice and soft. That's when it's the best. Okay, okay. Okay, we've got like uh, six more to go here. Uh, Olibolen. Olibolen. Um, they seem like Timbits to me. Uh, yes and no. Like they're, they're definitely not Timbits. They're deep fried uh, balls of dough. Uh, with uh, often raisins in it, like some people don't, don't like raisins, Ooh. so they, they they don't put them in there. So but these like are a typically, yeah, sort of. Okay, but tastier. Like, they're, they're definitely good. You know, put some powdered sugar on it, but they're only eaten around New Year's Eve, like um, oh, interesting. Okay, like around that time of day. Yeah, th- that time of year. Sorry. Okay, let me ask you this: Do you guys drink eggnog in Europe, or is that a no. totally American well, thing? At least not in the Netherlands. Like, I've never heard of it, never had it until I came to Canada. <laughs> okay. 
Because I just think that would be the best snack ever is some of this Ole Bolin and <laughs> so a big glass of eggnog to go wash it down. It would go well together, I think, actually. Oh, yeah. man. I, 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 I like eggnog as well, so, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce this. There's so many bloody consonants in a row here. Uh, are words in soap or snert? Snert. Snert. There we go. It looks. It's just snert. soup as far as I know, but... Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if it's a really typical Dutch. Yeah, uh, like it, it is a typical Dutch thing, but I, I had it also outside of the Netherlands. Okay. Um, I, I, I think maybe a little overrated. <laughs> here's here's the quote: The Dutch consider that well-made <laughs> a words and soap uh, should be so so thick that your spoon should stay vertical in it. That is true. That is true. You know, I remember as a kid, like, it, it, it doesn't get uh, nearly as cold anymore now in the Netherlands. Yep. But when I was a kid, we, we had some good winter still where we would ice, where we'd go ice skating right under canals. Yeah. Go for like 10, 15 kilometers uh, tours. And then towards the end, there was always snet. Oh, okay. But it was super tasty. You know, it was, it was so cold out. And then you would, you were you're finally done. And then you got a nice small cup of snet, warm, thick soup. And he had this piece of sausage in there. It was so tasty. That's oh. for sure. Okay. Well, uh, how about Stampot? Stompot. Yeah, Stompot Rauwe on Dijvi with Specius has to be then. Like, yeah, you have different type of Stompots. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a real Dutch, Dutch dish. That's for sure. But the only thing it is, it's potato with some type of vegetable in it. Okay. So th- th- it's nothing... Yeah, I don't know. It's nothing out of the ordinary or a difficult dish to make. So right. maybe a little bit, maybe maybe a tiny bit overrated in that okay. sense because it's so simple it's to make. It's a basic basic meal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tasty. Rookwurst. Rookwurst. Very good. Like on just like a, um, on a meal like stumples. You know, we often have rookwurst on there. On there. Okay. Now we put we put kale and the mashed potato together. And then the roquefort over it, like it's a big uh, smoking, so- like smoked sausage, sausage. Yeah, it's tasty, very good, okay. properly rated. Okay, okay. It says it's kind of like a hot dog. You can put it in a bun and slap a little mustard in there and call it a day. It's it's not like a hot dog. It's a lot tastier. Like a hot okay. dog is nothing compared with the, the roquefort. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna go with the second pronunciation of this one because the first one, I'm no screw it. I'm going with both here. Uh, Leckerbeckji or Kibbling? Kibbling, yeah. Kibbling and Leckerbeckji. Um, oh, Leckerbeckji. Yeah, uh, Leckerbeckji, yeah. Leckerbeckji is, um, it's a bigger piece of fish and it's deep fried. Yep. And a Kibbling is the fish chopped up in balls of dough, basically, and then deep fried. So basically <laughs> the same thing. It's both deep fried. It, okay. It tastes a lot, a lot alike. We, we actually had it today and it's super tasty. Okay, okay. So it's it's very similar to how like a croquette and a bitter ballin is like a bigger and a smaller of the exact same thing. Same with these, just bigger and smaller exactly. versions. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And then, it's super tasty with a good sauce. Yeah, that's what it's saying in here too. It's like it's got to come with a good sauce. So you don't just eat it straight up. You got to be dipping it, folks. Um, and now what kind of fish is it typically? Um, cool. Actually, I, I 
Because it's saying here like whitefish or codfish, but it wouldn't be yeah like codfish. You, yeah. you you wouldn't put like you wouldn't do it with like herring or something, would you? With how popular herring is, no, no, no definitely not. No, okay. just like with a cheaper fish. All right, Peter, the last one here, man. Panacoken. Panacoken. Um, it depends where you get them. If you if you just get straight up pancakes, like it's um, uh, for those people who don't know Dutch pancakes. Uh, Dutch pancakes. It's a very thin pancake, very thin. And you roll it up. It's kind of like in between a uh, crepe, so what they know the, yeah. f- the French know, and um, an American pancake. It's larger than an American pancake yeah. and a very thin. Like if you eat it at home, you often do like some type of syrup over it or uh, some powdered sugar. Some people put some cheese on there, some sausage. But if you actually go to a Dutch pancake restaurant, like you have over here, you can get them with any variety. You can get them with chocolate. You can also get like basically a pancake pizza. You know, where you get basically every element of a pizza on top of a pancake. <laughs> uh, what I think is, I don't know, not the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, Sarah is not stepping food into a pancake house or a pancake restaurant again. <laughs> That's because when we, we just got married, we moved here, and I think it was for a second month of marriage. I was like, oh, you know what? I will take you out for uh, for supper to a typical Dutch restaurant. <laughs> and we actually got, and we actually got, both got food poisoning from, oh, the, from the place. <laughs> so I threw up three or four days straight, oh, Sarah no. only for one day, but it's enough that seven years or six years afterwards, she would still not go to a Dutch pancake house. <laughs> Okay, well, before your married days, uh, did you ever have the classic Panacoken bo- uh, boot, which is a pancake boat? No, no, no? never. Okay, because it's just saying that it's uh, a lovely way of eating a pancake in Amsterdam is by taking the special Panacoken boot. So, anyways, people have to check that oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you actually are in, on a boat and you go on one of the canals and eat them. Oh, okay. Here I was thinking they like made them the size so it like looked like an actual boat. Of a boat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, those That's a good idea. <laughs> those are our fifteen Dutch foods. You now know what to eat, what not to eat. If you're ever in the Netherlands, um, definitely eat some chocolate sprinkled bread, uh, some potatoes with the Oorlog? How do you pronounce that properly? The Pate oh, yeah, Oorlog? Yeah. Yeah, Oorlog. Oorlog. Make sure you really get that in there at the end uh, <laughs> so that you, the street vendor or wherever you buy them uh, just knows you're legit. Make sure – or just say fries at war. I'm sure they understand that. Uh, that's it, Petey. Dude, thanks so much for coming to do this with me. I hope people understand a little bit more about you, Dutch culture, Um and uh yeah thank you for doing this hey you're welcome it's been uh, a good time it's good seeing you and talking to you again yeah it's been a pleasure and uh as always folks we'll hopefully be back with another episode of this uh yeah the week the week after you hear this one anyways peace out and uh have yourself a wonderful day mm-hmm.